0: so much for being together with us today. We come Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here, and I want to add my welcome to Aaron's. Thanks for visiting here. Hopefully as you came in, you got a little welcome card. If you did, fill that out, take that to the lobby. There'll be somebody out there. We'd love to give you a free book. Uh, just to say thank you for visiting us. And please let us know how we can serve you if you have any questions about the gospel, questions about our church, and we'd like to be able to serve you in any way possible. And then in case you missed Aaron's announcement, you're wondering what is all that stuff out there in the lobby? No, that's not a new decoration scheme. We're not going whatever yard sale chic that is, I guess. Is that (laughs) the look? But that is uh, equipment that we've taken out of our AV room, and it is free to you. Uh, Please take it. And take it out of here. And uh, if you have questions about what to take and how to take it and that kind of thing, Matt Hall is somewhere in here. Uh, I, he's actually teaching class. In the, in the back. But anyway, he'll be here after the service. So um, in the lobby, please help us out by getting rid of all those things. Some of it's actually good stuff, by the way. It's okay. It's not all junk or we just thrown it away. Um, it, it's good stuff. We just don't have a use for it here. So um, turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 1. While you're turning there, I wanted to ask, does anyone remember the New City Catechism question from last week? It was question 36. I think I got that right this week, right? Is it question 36? Did I get the numbers right? yes okay good what do we believe about the holy spirit anybody want to shout out the answer what do we believe about the holy spirit anybody all right excellent good stand up stand up in the back go ahead perfect thank you so much that was wonderful Why we do this is not just because we love to give Suzanne gift cards, it's, um, (laughs) we do, but um, we are continuing to go through the New City Catechism, it's been 36 weeks, you might have a little bit of exhaustion from that, I'd encourage you, don't, don't give in to the exhaustion of like, hey, i got to memorize something each and every week. And it's okay if you don't remember the exact one at the beginning, because God's word and his truth penetrates our hearts, penetrates our minds, it transforms us. That's why we're doing this, to, to establish good foundations, to remind ourselves of what's true, because we need regular weekly reminders of the truth is God's word and, and the truth of what we believe. And, and so this is meant to help us do that. So we're going to be reading question 37 this week. How does the Holy Spirit help us? And by the way, he, he helps us by doing this kind of things by bringing to remembrance those things that, that he has taught us already through his word. So we're going to answer this question, how does the Holy Spirit help us? Let's read this together. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God, and then he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. Man, that's good news, isn't it? That, that's really hope-giving, life-giving truth. It's not God's Word, but it comes right from His Word. He convicts us. He guides us. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us the very desire that we have to obey God, and then He enables us to do that. He enables us to pray. He enables us to understand God's Word. That is wonderful truth to meditate on, and I encourage you to do that this week, and by the way, um, do some competition for Suzanne, right? I mean, it'd be good to have someone else... And By the way, kids, $5 Chick-fil-A, you know you can get some waffle fries or maybe nuggets. I don't know what you can get for 5 bucks at Chick-fil-A, but I'm looking forward to it. Turn your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 1. We're continuing in the series in Thessalonians. We went through the first letter to the Thessalonians. And now we're going in 2 Thessalonians. This is the second message in that. And we have about three or four more weeks left in this little letter. So we'll be reading verses 5 through 12. This is God's holy inspired word. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. God, thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you that you did not leave us to wonder. You didn't leave us to wonder about this life, and you didn't leave us to wonder and speculate about our present sufferings and afflictions. And God, you, you give us your word to give us hope in the midst of suffering, in the midst of affliction. God, you, you give us your word to bring comfort. You give us your word to bring encouragement, and God, I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would bring your comfort, you would bring your encouragement. God, I pray that you would bring this, this feeble, weak means of preaching, that you, you would use this weak means of preaching to bring your strength, your power, your might by your Holy Spirit. God, would you empower me to bring your word, Lord, would you empower all of us to hear your word, and God, would you encourage us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Well, I remember when I was a kid, I, I used to like to watch old black and white reruns. And yes, I know I'm dating myself. I don't even know if they have black and white reruns on TV anymore or not. Uh, maybe on the History Channel or something weird like that. That's no longer about history. But um, it, I used to watch a show called Perry Mason. Anybody here ever seen an old black and white Perry Mason? Not the new one that came out recently, but an old black and white Perry Mason. He was a criminal defense lawyer, and he was always called to... to to represent somebody who'd been wrongly accused. I mean, I don't know if he ever had a guilty client, but um, it seemed like every episode he had a client that was wrongly accused of murder. And so the whole episode was spent with him, him trying to find evidence and prove that his client was innocent and get them relief and justice. And then through that, he also often proved who the guilty party really was, and he did that with evidence. And, and whenever he would go to the judge, he would often use a phrase and say, you know, your honor, the evidence will show in this really deep, booming voice. And he provided evidence that was meant to bring justice. That, that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is doing here. I, I, Perry Mason stole a line from the Apostle Paul in a sense because what we need is evidence evidence of justice, evidence to bring about justice. And the Apostle Paul here, he's he's speaking to beleaguered Christians in Thessalonica. They have been persecuted. They are suffering. They are tempted to be discouraged. And in the middle of this, he's bringing them evidence and and bringing them encouragement, evidence that says, hey, look, I'm going to show you the evidence, and the evidence is that you can find encouragement, you can find comfort, comfort in God's justice. Comfort in God's justice for you and comfort in God's justice for those who afflict you. And and Paul does that. He he does that with evidence. But the evidence isn't what you might expect. You might expect the evidence to show that um, because you're living a victorious Christian life, that is evidence that God's blessing is on you. But that's not what he does. He does the reverse. He says, no. He says, he's pointing back actually to 1 Thessalonians Uh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, when he says, I'm boasting about you. I'm boasting about the fact that you are enduring through suffering. You're enduring through affliction. And because you're enduring through suffering, enduring through affliction, that is evidence that God is actually not going to condemn you, but he's going to consider you worthy. And and what he's getting across to him is that those who are considered worthy of the kingdom are those who suffer for the kingdom. Those who suffer for the kingdom are those who are considered worthy of the kingdom. That's the, that's the first point that we're going to see in this passage. Those who suffer for the kingdom are those who are considered worthy for the kingdom. That's not what you would expect. That's not the message that you hear, the false gospel that you hear today that says that health and wealth are evidence of God's blessing. Now, I'm not saying that we should seek to suffer, we should seek to be afflicted. But what is evidence, Paul says, of God's blessing is the fact that you're enduring. You have steadfast faith. You have steadfast hope. You're loving each other. You are enduring in the middle of persecution, in the middle of suffering. And that, boy, that's evidence that God considers you worthy. It's evidence that he considers you worthy. I, in my old job, I, I used to be an IT director, and I, I had a, our staff was spread out across this huge floor, and we, everybody was in cubicles everywhere because it was the whole open office concept. You know, we're all equal, but we really weren't. And, and so I would walk around, and I would be looking for people to catch them doing things. And I'd be looking around to catch them doing something good, doing something right, and I'd be listening. Or, I, or I'd talk to their managers, and I'd say, hey, tell me about... Who on your staff's really impressed you? Who on your staff has done something that's gone above and beyond? That's that's good. That's that's to be encouraged. And then I would I would walk up to somebody and, and it would surprise them. I'd go up to their cubicle and then I'd stand up on top of the desk, which kind of freaked them out to begin with. And I stand up on the desk so I could see over all the cubicles. And I would yell and I would say, "Let me get everybody's attention!" And then I would say, "Booya!" And and I know it's kind of dorky. That's old. I know it's from the two thousands. But I would say booyah, and then I would explain what the booyah was all about, and I would tell them, you know, this, this person has demonstrated, they've given evidence of, you know, whatever it is, good customer service or excellence in their job, whatever it was, and on the backside it would be written on it what, what the booyah was all about, and then I'd give them a gift card as well so they actually could do something with it. And, and what, I, what I thought was interesting is that over time, over the couple of years I was there, I noticed that people who got in these booyahs, they had, they had started sticking them up on the outside of the cubicle walls, as kind of like evidence. They were proud of that. Over time. It was wasn't just encouraging in the moment, but it was encouraging to them afterwards. And it also motivated their behavior and then other people's behavior. I wasn't expecting that, I wasn't doing it to be manipulative, but, but it, it motivated and provide current, future motivation, and also it was provoking in a good way to the kind of behavior that, that we want to emulate. Paul is doing that here. He's he's boasting about the Thessalonians. He's he's going around. He's standing up in all the other churches. In verse 4, he says, I'm boasting about you to all the other churches about your perseverance, your steadfastness in hope, your persevering in the faith. You're enduring in the midst of trials, and that was meant to encourage them. It's meant to encourage us as well because, because God sees those things. God sees your perseverance, and he, he sees your faith. He sees your hope, and that is evidence in the midst of suffering, in the midst of affliction, in the midst of difficulty, perseverance in faith, endurance in hope. They're evidence of something. They're evidence that God's at work in you. They're also evidence that... That he is going to consider you or count you worthy. Look what it says in verse six or verse five. It says, that, This is evidence, what? That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. For which you are suffering. You see, the world around the Thessalonians told them, hey, because you're suffering, that means that God is displeased with you. Because you are suffering, something's wrong with you. Because you're afflicted, you're you're being overlooked by God. He doesn't care about you. And Paul says, no, it's actually the reverse of what all those who are persecuting you say. It's the reverse of what they say around you that when you experience affliction for the kingdom, what it means is that this is showing, it's demonstrating, it's giving evidence that you're worthy and God considers you worthy. Of the kingdom of God. He considers you worthy to suffer alongside His Son. And it's meant to motivate us, it's meant to give us hope and faith in the midst of difficulty. Suffering is not a sign of God's displeasure, is what He's saying. It's not a a sign of neglect, it's not a sign of a lack of care either. During affliction, it's evidence that God delivers believers from the wrath to come. He will deliver you from the wrath to come. If you're enduring affliction with hope now, it's evidence that God considers you worthy and that one day he's going to deliver you. And, and, and Paul gets on to talk about that in the future verses. But evidence through trials, it's evidence that one day God says, you, I count you worthy now. By the way, the judgment of God has already been given in a sense to Christians. If you are a Christian, you have evidence of the righteous judgment of God now that if you are enduring through persecution, trials, afflictions, you are persevering in faith, however feeble, however weak, you're enduring in faith, in hope, in love, then you can know that God's judgment is right to say, I count you worthy already of the kingdom. I already count you worthy of the kingdom here and now. And then Paul's gonna pray that we continue to be worthy. But he wants us to know at the outset that, that our hope is that we've already been judged and God already counts us worthy. And the evidence of that is that we're persevering. That's, that's what perseverance is meant to do. It's meant to give us hope for the future and also point us back to the hope that we have in Christ, in his justification. The reality is that everyone in the new creation only enters the kingdom through suffering. Our king, he entered the new creation. The, the, his kingdom began with suffering. His suffering, his death, his resurrection, which led to his glorification. And, and that's the same. He says, if anyone would follow after me, he must take up his cross. That's a place of affliction, the place of suffering, and follow me. If anybody wants to come into my kingdom, he has to take up his cross and follow me. And so we can expect that it's through suffering that that anyone who enters into the kingdom enters in through suffering, wearing this, this badge of enduring faith and good works that go along with the faith. And Jesus showed us that pattern. In Christian endurance and faith, what Paul is telling us is that it, Christian endurance and faith while suffering for the kingdom, it's, it's evidence of the fact that, that God will count us worthy. He already does count us worthy, and he will count us worthy of the final kingdom of God. And it's meant to give these beleaguered Christians hope, and it's meant to give us hope as well. Paul, he told the believers in the book of Acts, he, he, he told them about what they would encounter. And he said he was strengthening, Luke records it in Acts 14, 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul wasn't discouraging them and saying, hey, you're going to have tribulations. He's like, no, hey, you can have faith, continue in the faith because through these tribulations, what they result in is entry into the kingdom of God. It's the badge by which we enter into the kingdom. The primary goal of these verses is to, to bring comfort to the church. It's meant to bring comfort to each and every one of us as we are undergoing affliction and persecution for the sake of the kingdom. And if we are continuing on in the faith and enduring, doesn't mean you don't have questions. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. But if you're enduring in the faith and persevering, Paul wants you to understand. God wants you to understand that you can be cons- uh, encouraged because you're considered worthy. You're considered worthy. God's judgment is right, and it's evidence. And he also says the evidence is going to show something else. Now, this evidence, at first, it doesn't seem positive. He spends most of his time here, which is our point is going to be mainly spent on where Paul spends his time in in verses 6 through 10. And the evidence doesn't just show that you're going to be considered worthy, but the evidence shows something else. The evidence shows what's going to happen to those who reject God's kingdom because it says those who reject God's kingdom, they'll be condemned to eternity outside the kingdom. And you're wondering how in the world can that be comforting? How can that be encouraging? But if you're suffering persecution, if you're suffering affliction, you'd want to know that justice will be served one day. All throughout the psalms, the psalmist says, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you hold back your judgment on those who are evil? And and the saints, in the end, in Revelation, they're, they're around the throne saying, how long, O Lord, will you continue to allow your saints to die? And so if you are... Undergoing persecution or affliction. You might be wondering, how long, oh Lord? And you want justice. It's an inherent human desire. We all want justice, just not for ourselves. We all know it would be unjust to let criminals go free. It wouldn't be right to give a pat on the back to those who do wrong. You know, even at the, the, the schoolyard level, bullies are not to be commended. I remember a story a time when we were in Canada, and we went to this uh, playground outside. It was this big festival area, and they had a climbing thing that was enclosed in this big mesh net, and only, you know, the, the door was like this tall, so only kids a certain age and under could go in there, and so um, Abigail was in that little maze, and she was climbing around, and I was watching her outside of the maze, and I couldn't go in there, and, and then this, this, kid who was probably too big to go in there went in afterwards and he starts bullying her and tell you as a dad I, I, I didn't like that at all I wasn't pleased about that he starts bullying her and I was like okay well maybe she can endure some, a little bit of taunting I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be the overbearing parent you know where, where is this kid's parents at and he starts harassing her and then he starts messing with her and pushing her and I got mad <laughs> I think it's what a good father does good father isn't isn't okay with somebody harassing their kids. And so I got upset. And so I go up to the outside of this mesh, and I'm like, hey, (laughs) stop it! In the gruffest, most harsh tone I could provide, and I got the kid's attention. And he did it again. And then I was like, if you don't stop, and then I told him what the consequences would be. And um, I'm I'm glad his parents weren't around, but... um, not to hear that at least. But I told him what the consequences would be, and then I also asked my son to go in after her and get between him and, the, and her. And so he did, but, but I said, hey, if you touch her again, if you harass her again, you know, <clears throat> there will be payment that will be coming. No loving father's okay with his kids being hurt. You might misinterpret delay on God's part in the midst of affliction and persecution if God not caring and Paul says no I want to encourage you that's not what that means God will repay those who afflict you that's meant to bring comfort now it's sobering because none of us wish affliction on even our worst enemies especially the kind he's going to tell about what what, what this affliction what this punishment that they're going to endure the people who afflict will be afflicted and he explains what that means So none of us wish that. So it's sobering, but it's also comforting. Comforting for those who have placed their faith in God. And here's the thing, though. Even if if you're in that other category, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you can still find the comfort in these verses by having faith in Christ, by turning to him, by believing in him, by hoping in him, by obeying the gospel. But suffering of believers, it's also evidence that God's Justice that he's going to pour out on all those who afflict believers—it's right and good. So he says, this is evidence not only that you're going to be approved, that you're going to be considered worthy, but it's also evidence that that those who are condemned to eternity outside—they deserve it. And so your suffering, in a, in a sense, is is adding evidence to God's justice. Persecutions and afflictions shows that God is just to to punish those who afflict and persecute. And and they reveal, they confirm the fact that, that people have rejected God. And so it's evidence, gives evidence of their own rejection of God when they persecute, when they mock, when they afflict Christians, when they reject Christians, when they reject Christ, when they refuse to know God, refuse to obey God. It's all evidence that God's justice is good and right. As sobering as it is. It might seem like those who afflict Christians are getting away with that. I just read a story this past week of Christians in Pakistan who were beaten for professing the faith. And you forget that that kind of persecution and suffering goes on all around the world today. We're, we're almost immune to it. Now, we might experience a light affliction here comparatively, light persecution here. But even all of those things are, are giving evidence that, that one day God's right justice will be served. One day he's going to bring his justice to bear, reverse the plight of those who've been afflicted. The afflictors will be afflicted by God. It's meant to put our suffering and affliction in perspective so we can see things from an eternal perspective. God's not going to be mocked. He's going to vindicate his people. It's only a matter of time. This evidence-based justice is meant to be a relief to us. It's a relief when someone is on the loose out in public and they're an enemy of the people. They've, They've killed people. They're on the run. They're a fugitive. It's a relief when they're caught. It's a relief when they're put into jail. It's a relief when they get justice. Paul says that we'll experience that relief, that final, ultimate relief that true relief, but not just relief from punishment, but also relief that knowing that we too will not be punished, even though that's what all of us deserve. See, the only difference here between those who receive God's vengeance and those of us who receive his commendation is where our faith and hope and trust is. Is our faith and hope and trust in ourselves or our faith and hope and trust in God and his righteousness given to us by Christ? He's going to grant relief. It says in verse 7, the hope is that he will grant relief to to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Paul was not just saying, hey, you're who are afflicted, you'll get relief. He says, no, you're along with us because Paul experienced affliction too. On the final day when Jesus is, is revealed from heaven, it's going to be with his mighty angels. He's going to bring relief. And that's what the last, do you know the last chapter of the Old Testament looking forward to the New Testament I I love the order that it's been placed in. It's Malachi 4. In the last verses, it talks about looking forward, really, to the relief that we're going to get. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. So it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be asses under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, as the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him and Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. God's justice is meant to bring hope, meant to bring relief. And this word relief doesn't just have relief from punishment, but also has a connotation of rest. The relief of, of resting from every burden that we've experienced here it includes enjoyment and rejoicing that comes in relief. Like the enjoyment and rejoicing of finding fresh water in the desert. And the Christian's perspective of their suffering is is meant to give them perseverance. And Paul tells us when all this is going to happen. He he tells us when it's going to happen. He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed. When the Lord Jesus is revealed. So, Christian, right now, you might not see these things, but you can be assured that that all this will happen. You'll experience relief. You will also experience final glorification and... All of his enemies will be finally put down when the Lord Jesus is revealed. That was important to the Thessalonians. You see, the Romans and Jews around them thought that they were unimpressive because they thought that Jesus was unimpressive. After all, what kind of Savior dies and goes away? He was seen as unimpressive and insignificant. And along with him, his followers were seen as unimpressive and insignificant. And then they were ridiculed because they were suffering and afflicted. So you're obviously rejected by God, you're insignificant. You're unimpressive, and Paul says, you can have comfort knowing that Jesus, he'll be revealed. He'll be revealed for who he truly is. You will see him, and all the world will see him one day. When he comes, he'll be revealed from heaven. He gives three ways he's going to be revealed. He's going to be revealed from heaven. He's going to be revealed with his mighty angels, and he's going to be revealed in flaming fire. This is the ultimate revelation of Jesus that's, that's all impressive, that no one will wonder who this Jesus really is. He's going to be revealed as God himself. And the interesting thing about this is that Paul, he, he's probably quoting from Isaiah 66, and it's the only other place when it, when it talks about the Lord coming in this way with fire. In Isaiah sixty six fifteen, he it says, Behold the Lord. And by the way, this is the, the name Yahweh. The covenant-keeping God, for behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury in his rebuke with flames of fire. What Paul's doing by referencing this is he's saying that Jesus will be revealed to be none other than Yahweh, that God himself, God the Son, he's going to be revealed in all his glory from heaven with all the authority of heaven, with all the power of heaven. He's going to be revealed with the authority that is over all. And not only that, he's going to say he's going to be revealed with his mighty angels. With his mighty angels, with his army. It's the picture of a king who comes in and conquers, with his generals coming in with him to conquer. And this is the picture of Jesus being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, with his purifying fire, the ability to burn the enemy, to bring justice. The Lord is going to avenge himself on all those who choose to not know God, who choose to disobey his good news. You see, the first time Jesus came, he came came proclaiming freedom for rebels. Freedom for rebels that comes by faith in him. He he came proclaiming freedom from punishment, freedom from wrath for all who trust in him. When he returns, he's going to come back different. This isn't Jesus meek and mild, this is Jesus... With flaming fire. This is Jesus coming back for all those who refuse his good gift. The gospel, the good news about Jesus is there's freedom found in him. But one day, that patience will run out. Patience with those who reject God, patience with the afflictors, patience with those who do not know God. Because they refuse to know him. That will run out and and God will come back. Jesus will come back because disobedience to this good news that he brings, disobedience to King Jesus, it's the ultimate capital offense. It's the ultimate treason. Even treason in our own country warrants the capital offense. This is treason against the most high God. And so it says what that will mean. When he comes, it says they'll suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. It's unimaginable what this means. It's, it's the same thing. The punishment be eternal destruction, which is being put away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God kicked them out of the garden. That was severe punishment in one sense, but he provided a way for mercy and a foreshadowing of that mercy that was to come. He clothed them, and he said that one day the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And there was hope. But there was hope in the, in the midst of being kicked out. Being kicked out of the garden was punishment. Being away from God's presence was punishment. That's actually um, why we struggle, why we continue to struggle today. Um, if you're an unbeliever, you are separated from God. You have no help from God. That's a, a desperate state. And Paul says, if you continue to do that, to not know God, to refuse to know God, if you continue to reject this good news that the king is offering to you, then one day you're going to be put out forever, never, with hope of coming back. Banned away from the presence of the king, away from joy, away from all celebration and life and light, into outer darkness where you can't even see the light. Jesus talks about that many times throughout the Gospels. He actually talks about this idea of separation from him of hell and outer darkness more than any other author in the New Testament. Matthew 13, he says, So will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate evil from righteous and throw them in the fiery furnace, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, 13 says, The king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness, and the place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. He's telling a parable of the kingdom, but people who come in dressed in their own clothes instead of receiving the wedding clothes that the king provides, they're dressed in their own clothes. What's a metaphor of, of dressing ourselves in our own righteousness, not receiving the gift that he gives us of righteousness, and the king says, no, only those who are wearing the wedding garb of the king can enter in, and anybody else is going to be cast out. There's no pretenders, there's no one who comes in falsely, only those who trust in King Jesus, all those who don't obey the gospel, are cast into a place of eternal destruction, eternal ruin. And what that's seen as here, the worst we can imagine, is being cast out in the outer darkness. You know, I don't, I don't like, I don't love being alone in the movies. I know some people like that. I don't like being alone in the movies because I want to celebrate with people. I want to be like, yeah, that was a great movie. Being there just seems so lame. I mean, if you go and by yourself, you know, I, I'm, I'm, wow, that's great. Um, you have boldness That's wonderful, you can celebrate that, you're not as insecure as I am. But I I love to celebrate with people. I can't imagine being completely alone, but not only that, having no hope of ever being with the only one who is the source of all joy and goodness and light. The culmination really of of all of the Old and New Testament authors, it's not all the, the good things we'll get, it's being with God who is the definition of goodness himself. It's being with God face to face. And so eternal punishment, eternal destruction is being away from the presence of the Lord, away from the glory of his might. And all those who deny God and refuse to acknowledge him as God will be denied by God. There's justice in its evidence. When, they, when people show that they deny the knowledge of God, when they refuse to obey the gospel, it's, it's evidence that one day They'll be denied by God. One day they will never be acknowledged in his presence. You know, this actually takes away the whole idea of fire insurance that some people have. You know, I prayed a prayer and so I'm all good. No, no. It's not about just praying a prayer one time. It's about are you trusting in him actively? Are you obeying the gospel? Are you responding to him? Are you believing in him? Are you giving evidence by enduring in faith and hope and love? Or Is there evidence in your life? Christians are those who are concerned. And when I hear messages like this, when I was studying this passage, I'm like, Lord, do do I, do I really know you as well as I need to? God, God, am I, am I giving evidence of all these things in my own life? God, I, am, am I, I want to walk worthy, as he talks about? And, and, and that's, that's actually evidence that, that I believe. That's evidence that we believe. If you're concerned about the state of your soul, then only Christians really are concerned about the state of their souls in this way. And it's meant to encourage us on. It's, this encouragement isn't actually meant to to encourage our behavior going forward too. It's meant to give evidence in, in our works. Our works are evidence of our faith. And he talks about coming back, and he says, this is not going to be ending. It's going to be never-ending punishment. He talks about the Isaiah 66. Um, not, not only was this justice going to come, but he talks about the results of that in Isaiah 66, 24, a few verses after the one we read earlier. It says, they will go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, or their fire shall not be quenched, there shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This is an eternal punishment. And, and, and that's sobering. We shouldn't wish that on your worst enemy, and we don't. While this message is encouraging for Christians, it's also meant to be provoking for those who don't know God. Not to be manipulative. We don't want that for anybody. We want all to come to a place of repentance. Because you know what? All of us deserve this wrath. By nature, all of us are children of wrath. But God gives us his grace so we might find comfort in him and then our eventual glorification in Christ is meant to give us comfort now, knowing that one day we will be glorified. Um, That eventual glorification is meant to give us comfort in the here and now. It talks about, he says, on that day when he comes to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believed because our testimony to you was believed. On that day, Yahweh He's going to be revealed to be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God Almighty is God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to be revealed to be God the Son in all of his might. And I can only imagine what it would be like to see Jesus in all of his glory. All of his majesty. And, and to marvel at him in worship. To see his power and his majesty and his might is truly going to be wonder. And if you are a saint in Jesus Christ, you will have that Enjoyment of wondering at the King, and wondering at the fact that you get to be with the King forever, and that He welcomes you into His presence, and then not only that, He will be glorified in you. <laughs> I—that's I, that's Paul's whole prayer. He's, he's praying that God, God is going to make you worthy of His calling and, and fulfill. Those things that you want to do. this every resolve for good and, and every work of faith by his power. It, it doesn't depend upon you to keep yourself, even in, in the end. He says, no, it's, it's really a work of grace from start to finish. It's all about the fact that God has called you, and he's the one who makes you worthy, and he's the one who's going to enable you to fulfill every resolve that you have for good work, and he's going to be the one who's going to enable you to carry out the works of faith, and all of that is not by your power, but it's by his power, and that is encouragement to us. We don't rely on our own resolve, our own power, our own resources to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We rely on God's power. And we can be confident that he's going to carry these things out in us. He's going to fulfill these things in us. He's going to make you worthy. Fulfill every resolve that you have for your work. You know when Paul says in in Romans 7, the good that I want to do, I end up not doing. Now he's writing, you know what? God is actually going to enable you to do very good that you want to do by his power. And here's the comfort we can hang on to. He already considers you glorified. And he will glorify you. He already considers you glorified. You're, because he's called you, he's justified you. And those he's justified, he's sanctified. Those he's sanctified, he's already glorified. And one day, that, that glorification process is really going to happen. And, and I love the analogy that John Stott uses. He talks about it being like a light bulb in a filament. He says, so how will the coming Lord Jesus be glorified in relation to his people? He says it wasn't outside of them, but rather in them, as if they will be a filament, which itself glows with light and heat when the electric current passes through it. And he says, distinction between his models is important. A theater isn't changed by the play in which it's performed in it. An audience is not necessarily moved by the drama enacted before it. A mirror is certainly not affected by the images it reflects, but a filament is changed. For when the current is switched on, it glows. So when Jesus is revealed in his glory, he will be revealed in his people. We will not only see, but share his glory. We will be more than a filament that glows temporarily, only to become dark and cold again when the current is switched off. We'll be radically and permanently changed being transformed into his likeness. And in our transformation, his glory will be seen in us for we will glow forever with the glory of Christ as indeed he glowed with the glory of his father when he was transfigured. What a day that we look forward to. We have comfort in glorification. We have comfort in glorification. It's, it's meant to bring us comfort now. This, this glorification that we will have is meant to bring us comfort now that one day he will make us Like him fully. One day remove all sin. One day not only relieve suffering, but make us like him so we shine with the brightness of his glory. Just like when Moses came down from the mountain when he just saw God for a short period of time, his face glowed. We're gonna be glorified. We're gonna shine forth the glory of the Lord. Not that, not that we're gonna be impressive, but we're gonna shine forth his impressiveness. We're gonna shine forth his glory in every way. And so, Christian, if you're in the midst of suffering and affliction, receive comfort today. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to go to him for comfort, to go to him to find relief, to go to him to find change, to go to him to find redemption, because he welcomes rebels to come. He desires to transform us all into his image and our perseverance, our, our growing faith, our increasing love, our steadfast hope, they're all evidence that we're counted worthy of the kingdom and that he's at work in us, and one day he'll glorify us. And that's our hope. Let's pray. And the band come up and we'll we'll sing. Father, thank you that you don't leave us without evidence. Evidence of the hope that we have that we can hang on to. God, I pray that you would give each and every person here continuing perseverance and endurance. Would you give us hope in you, in in a right perspective in the midst of our own sufferings and afflictions and persecution? And Father, I pray as well that you would give us a a motive to, to share this good news in the gospel so that no one has to endure the affliction that you will bring to all those who reject you. God, I pray that we'd all find refuge in you, trust in you. And God, I pray that you would just give us joy as we look forward to that day of relief and comfort, a day when we'll be glorified in you, when we get to marvel at you face to face. And God, would you keep us in faith in that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.